Well, it uh, shouldn't be a surprise to you at this moment, maybe it was a few minutes ago, that it is, uh, it is Christmas. If you haven't been with us, if you're not familiar with the church calendar, certainly a lot of people in your lives, your neighbors, your family, your friends, uh, would look at us and think we were pretty weird for lots of reasons, but maybe chiefly today they would be like, Christmas is over. We're like, or we're like 10 weeks into Christmas. What are you talking about? Not seven days. Um, and we look at the Christmas season and, uh, and we're reminded of our, of our origins, of our stories um, as the people of God. And uh, the celebration of the incarnate deity, as we sang, um, is, is just too momentous, um, is too life-altering uh, for it to simply be summed up in, in even the most joyous day of unwrapping gifts and feasting and enjoying uh, family and friends. It is a great reminder to us this season uh, of what we're supposed to be about. Um, the last couple of weeks have been pretty weird for me. I was kind of caught up in the Advent season, which is my favorite liturgical season personally. The darkness and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the darkness with the with the clear and true hope, the stillness. You know, like that's kind of more my sweet spot. I. Um, don't always celebrate well, um, but I'm working on that. And, and then, you know, like the school semester wrapped up, and then I was just like a lot of us flung into kind of the holiday season. But then all of that ended five days ago. Like no more, I mean, we might have one more family get-together, I think. But basically all the get-togethers, all the parties and stuff are done. And, and so I'm maybe like you, saying like, okay, I know it's the Christmas season. What, what exactly am I supposed to do with that now? Um, and today, as we, as we look at being just hours away from a new year, what is, how does the Christmas season inform our movement into 2024? And, uh, and I think that if we are going to say that we're Advent people, if we are a perpetually waiting people, then we are also a Christmas people. We are perpetually proclaiming the coming of God into our lives, into our world. And so I think with our, uh, with our readings today, we're, we're in the lectionary, uh, probably for the last week. Uh, we began reading the lectionary readings uh, at the beginning of Advent. Um, and they help us to see, right? They help us to see that we are caught up in one continuous story. We see that by reading from a variety of books in Scripture, that we are caught up in this one singular story uh, that has spanned many thousands of years. Um, we're rem reminded in today's passages also that Jesus' story is, uh, does not begin and end with his birth. You know, a lot of the world, maybe even some of us, uh, struggle to perceive Jesus 
outside of this kind of nativity scene, uh, we struggle to perceive him throughout the rest of the year and wonder what he might look like and what he might be doing. So we're going to read uh, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. We're going to read from Galatians 4 and then uh, Luke chapter 2. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. To Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see the death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for calling us into this place on this day, which you foreknew that we would hear from you, that we would worship you. We ask that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our minds to hear your message rightly. I pray that you would help my words to align with that and forgive me for any part that would seek otherwise. We ask that you would grow us up now in the good news of the coming of your son into the world. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen. This story of, of the infant Jesus coming into the temple is, is pretty fascinating, I think. Um, and as we look at it, it might be helpful to you, or maybe not, but to picture this, this family, this young, poor family in your mind. Uh, they're having their first child, Anybody remember what that was like? Even if that was a while ago, you remember the anxieties and just kind of the general unknowing. Maybe you heard people say things that scared the heck out of you. And, and they're dealing with all of these things, right? They're dealing with messes and crying and nursing. Mary and Joseph probably didn't have the exact same uh, worries and anxieties that my wife and I had when we had our first child. Um, still, they have a newborn baby, right? And not only that, but this newborn baby, they've been told by an angel, is the son of the Most High. And that's a little bit crazy. That, I don't know really like what the, what the mental or emotional experience for humans was like back then, 2,000 years ago but I'm pretty sure it was still kind of crazy for Mary and Joseph. So Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. How did they end up there? Through an imperial law, an imperial decree, right? Caesar Augustus had said that there should be a census. So they went back to where Joseph's family was from in Bethlehem. And after about a month, uh, it was time for Mary to come to the temple to give her offerings uh, Mary and Joseph, it says, bring Jesus to present him to the Lord. And, and there are multiple mentions in here of, of them doing things according to the law of the Lord. But what those things look like precisely, I don't think is, is really the point here. The point is that, that Joseph and Mary are obedient to the law of the Lord. We read the Apostle Paul's words here in Galatians that Jesus was born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Many of the followers, the early followers of Jesus were in fact law-observing Jews. And Jesus himself will later say that he didn't come to abolish the law, 
but he came to fulfill it. Still, as we see the first of two witnesses enter the scene here in Luke chapter 2, we see that this story really isn't about the law at all. It is instead about the presence of the long-awaited Messiah in the temple. This also is a pretty huge deal. If you've been following along in Advent with us, or if you just have like a general knowledge of the story of the Bible, you know that for thousands of years, God has been promising specific people a specific family, forming a specific nation and telling them that he'll be with them, that he'll bless them, and that eventually he will come to earth and fix all the stuff that's wrong. Now, there weren't a lot of people uh, probably paying close attention to that in this day and age. Not a lot of people looking out uh, through scripture, through study, through prayer, and, and trying to determine how the Messiah was going to come. There were some studying these things, but they certainly weren't expecting Jesus to show up on the scene in the way that he did. Simeon, though, Simeon is a witness. He's one of the few who is waiting with a sense of clarity for the Messiah. And there were Plenty of people probably kind of like Simeon, people who were pious, people who were doing their best to serve God in the temple. What made Simeon different that we see in this story? Why do I say that he was perhaps waiting with a sense of clarity? It's that the Holy Spirit was informing and guiding his decisions. So this scene that we see with Simeon being guided by the Holy Spirit is one of expectation. The Holy Spirit, the text says, is upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit told Simeon he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, at a particular time, on a particular day, as the Messiah is brought, carried in by his mother into the temple, the Holy Spirit guides Simeon into the temple. And Simeon sees the Christ. And he sees that not only has the Holy Spirit fulfilled his promise to Simeon, but God has in fact fulfilled this long-awaited promise to his people in sending the Messiah, the promise of God to save his people, and as Isaiah says, to make her salvation as a burning torch. See, the Holy Spirit illuminates and expands Simeon's understanding of what the Messiah's salvation will be, that it will reach far beyond the people of Israel. And he tells Mary that Jesus' arrival and his work will cause many in Israel to fall, many to rise, that his work will be opposed by some. And we see that it is the acceptance or the opposition to Christ's work that reveals the true thoughts and desires of hearts. 
Now Luke introduces on the heels of this scene with Simeon, Anna. She comes into the scene and Anna is a prophetess. Like Simeon, she is guided by the Holy Spirit. And Luke goes through a little bit of trouble to make clear that she's kind of old. If she was married at uh, the typical age of this day and time, around 14 years old, she was married for seven years before becoming a widow, then she's somewhere around 84 years old or maybe 105 years old, depending on how the verses here are translated. And any one of you who has reached 80, have seen your 80th year, you might think that's a pretty significant difference. Like 80 and 100, that's sort of a big difference. But the, the point isn't how old she is. The point is that, like Simeon, Anna is a particular sort of disciple. At a minimum, she's spent 63 years of her life, mostly in the temple, mostly fasting and praying for the consolation of Israel. And at the sight of the holy infant, she gives thanks and speaks of him. It says, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What does this phrase mean, the redemption of Jerusalem? It's, it's synonymous with what we see in verse 25 with Simeon, who we're told is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What we'll see in Luke chapter 23 with Joseph of Arimathea, who we are told is looking for the kingdom of God. This is the comfort of redemption that the prophet Isaiah writes about frequently. And what we begin to see here in this early story of Jesus' earthly life is that Jerusalem's redemption, Israel's consolation, are related necessarily to her receiving of Jesus. And it's the same for us. So the question before you on this seventh day of Christmas, as maybe like, like me, you're saying, yeah, but what am, I, what, am I supposed, what am I supposed to do with that? 12 days of Christmas, who can survive feasting for 12 days? I don't know. The question is, how do you receive this gift that is God incarnate? not how well do you understand what Christmas is all about, not how rightly do you celebrate Christmas, but how do you and I receive this salvation, this clear and intentional and planned move of God into creation to initiate his kingdom? When we read words like we read in Galatians 4, the fullness of time, that's what you're meant to see. You're meant to see the intentionality of God. You're meant to see God's intentional action toward creation, toward you. In essence, these kinds of words mean 
the time that God appointed to do it. He knew that he was going to do it. He planned to do this. So how do you receive this intentional gift? Simeon said that Jesus would cause some to rise and some to fall, right? That his work would be opposed. And some of the Jews would indeed uh, reject Jesus as the Lord's Messiah and so fall. But others, like the apostles and many disciples, like Anna and Simeon here, they would see Jesus for who he truly is. And so they would become a light to the Gentiles. And this is how Israel was meant to receive glory, by showing all peoples, all of the nations, the promise of God and his faithful fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Brendan Byrne, in his book, The Hospitality of God, says that Israel's glory consists in having a role for others, boundaries being extended, salvation widely cast. But, he continues, many will balk at the breadth of the hospitality God offers and react with rejection. What you and I are meant to do as the Israel of God, now as the people of God, is not to keep this gift for ourselves, as enjoyable as that might kind of be. Rather, we are in this Christmas season to receive a gift, understand its preciousness, and give it out to other people. As we enter 2024, the geography, the land of Jesus' earthly life is divided. It's reduced to rubble and violence in many areas. It is disordered. And our faith and our practice as the people of God doesn't have to be that way. See, Christmas tide is a season in our calendar. And as we traverse from season to season through the year, we see the continual and effective work of Jesus who actually didn't come to be forever adored as a cute little baby in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. The text tells us here in Luke, he came to grow, to become strong, to be filled with wisdom and the favor and grace of God. And he came to do these things so that he might pour them out to you and to me, through his healing, through his power, through his forgiveness, his redemption, and his freedom. This child, Jesus, truly beautiful and precious, a humble Lord, laid one day in a cradle. He is the same Jesus Christ. He is the same Son of God who would one day find himself laid out on a cross. This child 
whose parents presented him to the Lord and offered sacrifices in obedience to the law of God is the same Jesus who would one day present himself as the one and the only, the final and the true sacrifice for the redemption, not only of the people of Israel, but for you and for me and for all the nations of the world. 2,000 years later, you and I have the same hopes that Israel had. And though it may seem far off, though it may appear indifferent, though it may sound even hostile, the truth is that the rest of the world has never been more desperate for this hope. We see the need for a savior. And it's easy to see the need for a savior for things to be set right when we're looking outside, when we're looking at wars in other parts of the world, when we're looking at oppression that seems to be kind of far from my front door. It's easy to see the need for a savior. But you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't just see the wreckage that appears to be far from us. We can't see the havoc that is being wrecked on the apparent uh, equilibrium of the world's politics and markets and things like that. You and I have to see the destruction that happens in our own families, that happens in our own neighborhoods, in our communities, our places of work, and indeed in our own hearts. We know our own sin, or we should, because I certainly know the sins of other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can look around at all of these messes that seem to be outside of us, and we can see how our own choices could create such a mess, how we could easily find ourselves in the same mess. We don't know how old Simeon was. We don't know uh, when exactly God had, had told him, the Holy Spirit had told him that he would see the Messiah. We don't know how long he lived after he finally did hold Christ in his arms but it was the activity of the Holy Spirit that caused him to deeply yearn to see the Messiah, to yearn for the consolation of Israel. And we don't know how old Anna was. We just know she was old. And she spent her whole life waiting and longing. She's a woman who probably could have remarried as still a relatively young woman and may have chosen a lifetime of widowhood. Few of us can imagine the circumstances of a life that lived that way. 
But these choices that she surely made opened up to her the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit to look for the kingdom of God. It is this same Holy Spirit that prompts you today to receive Jesus in his swaddling cloths, the same Jesus who would later have his body exposed in crucifixion. Receive him as Simeon and Anna did with great expectation, with joy, knowing that he is not only your consolation, he is the consolation for the entire world. The good news today that we read in Galatians is that you, sisters and brothers, have been given the Holy Spirit because you are already sons and daughters. You have been given this same Holy Spirit who provides the continuity over the course of centuries and millennia before Christ's birth and now after. It is the same Holy Spirit moving in us today, causing in us expectation and recognition of who our true consolation lies in. The good news is that as we read in Isaiah 63, that you have been made into a crown, a royal diadem, which doesn't do anything by itself, right? The crown is pretty, doesn't have any use in and of itself. But it, what it does when it has been fashioned is it's placed in the hand of the king, it is placed on the head of the king. And what it does is it points to that person and it says, this person is worthy of honor. This person is worthy of praise. Will you receive Jesus today? And will you point to him as the only one who can give our world any hope, as the only one worthy of any praise? If you haven't met Jesus, if you don't know Jesus this way, what you're meant to hear today is that you, just like me, and just like every other person in this room, has been the recipient of the intentional action, the planned gift of God, is Jesus. He's given to you today. If you never knew that before, today, is the day of salvation. And yeah, it has become a long day. Thank God that it has become a long day of salvation that many of us and many more might be brought in. It is in the birth of Jesus and the continual activity of the Holy Spirit that we see God moving close to people who would never be inclined to move close to him. That in his nearness, we might receive him. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you've been working not only for thousands of years for the salvation of your people, but since before time began, throughout all of eternity, you have been planning. This is beyond our comprehension. This is beyond our reach. This is beyond our scope to perceive such things. And so you came, Lord Jesus, as a little baby. We thank you for this gift. We ask that you would stir our hearts to appreciate rightly this gift of salvation, that we would not keep it for ourselves, that we would not push it away and try to claim the crown for ourselves. Rather, Jesus, Lord, let us be as a faithful crown in your hand, proclaiming your worthiness and your value to all the nations. Thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus. We love you and we look forward to your continued work in the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives and in our communities. Amen.